Welcome to the latest in a series of podcasts for the Florence School of Regulation. Today's topic is the proposal for a recast of the Renewable Energy Directive. And I'm here with Thomas Schulz, who is a partner at Linklater's Berlin office in charge of the renewables matters um, and also active in projects and regulatory affairs. I am Christopher Bremmer, an off-counsel at Linklater's, also in the Berlin office and also active in regulatory matters and also projects and MA corporate. As I mentioned, we're focusing on the recast of the Renewable Energy Directive today, and I've prepared a set of questions that I'm going to ask Thomas now. I will start with the first question, um, which is focusing more on the general picture. Um, as we all know, there's the winter package that um, the European Commission proposed on 30 November 2016. And I was wondering whether you could put this legislative proposal for our listeners into a bigger picture. Thomas. The proposal shall replace the existing Renewable Energy Directive. The package's aim was to strengthen the internal market for electricity and further implement the energy union by putting energy efficiency first, achieving global leadership in renewables, and providing a fair deal for consumers. And as you can imagine, the new Renewable Energy Directive focuses on the second aim, the global leadership in renewable energy. Okay. But before getting into the details, and there are many of details, what, in your view, are the most prominent legal changes from the current existing directive to the new proposed directive? The main differences are that, first, there will be a binding union-wide target for all renewables, however, no national targets any longer. Second, there will be a legal framework for support schemes. Third, the directive aims at improving conditions to invest in renewables. And fourth, there will be new rules on sectors like heating and cooling. Good. So let us focus on the four aspects that you just highlighted step by step. What do you mean by a union-wide target for all renewables? As you know, under the current regime, the European Union had a target of 20% share of renewable energies of total energy consumption until the year 2020. This union-wide target translated into national binding targets. These national targets ranged from 10% for Malta to 49% for Sweden. Now, the new energy directive proposes to set only a binding union-wide target at the level of 27%. This union-wide target does not translate into national targets. The member states instead are required to set their own targets ambitiously and these targets cannot be lower than the ones listed in the current directive and altogether they must collectively ensure that the union-wide target of 27% is met. 
This is interesting. I mean, this seems to be a weakening of the ambitions of the European Union. So what, what are the reactions of the member states? states and, and the public to that. Yes, indeed. Um, this approach has been criticized for demanding too little of the member states. Also, the threshold of 27% is perceived as being too low because if the renewable generation continues at the same pace as it is now, um, it will reach 24.3% by the year 2030. It should be noted, though, that it was the European Council which in 2014 set the 27% target and explicitly determined that it will be achieved while fully respecting the member states' freedom to determine their energy mix. The Council did not want the union-wide target to translate into national binding targets. This decision can be seen as a result from the different approaches the member states still take towards the deployment of renewable energies and the compromise they had to find. Sweden, for example, has already passed its 2020 target, while Poland still heavily relies on fossil fuels. Now it depends on the legislative process whether the European Parliament and the Council can agree on higher targets or stricter obligations of the member states. Just to repeat what you said, so the, the member states jointly shall ensure that the union-wide target is achieved by 2030. Does the package that the Commission has proposed contain any procedural rules on their collaboration to achieve that target? Yes and no. Yes. The new proposal foresees that the member states' contribution to achieving the union-wide target should be set in so-called integrated energy and climate plans. And no, there are no detailed rules on these plans. Their content and setup is rather codified in a proposed so-called governance regulation, which is also part of the winter package. Could you go a little more into detail on these integrated energy and climate plans? What is their content and setup? Yes, um, regarding the plan's content, the governance regulation prescribes that they cover 10-year periods starting in 2021. In the first period, particular attention should be paid to the 2030 targets for greenhouse gas emission reductions, renewable energy, energy for efficiency and electricity interconnection. Generally, the plans should go beyond national borders and shall be integrated in relation to the five key dimensions of the energy union, amongst others, a fully integrated energy market and a decarbonized economy. Regarding the procedure for the plans, the draft for the year 2021 until 2030 need to be submitted to the Commission rather soon, namely on 1st of January 2018. Before the submission, the Member States are obliged to cooperate with and consult each other on a regional level to identify opportunities for regional cooperation as well as undergo public consultation. The Commission examines the drafts of the plans and is allowed to issue recommendations of which the Member States shall take utmost account. 
A recommendation could be, for instance, rising the energy efficiency and cross-border interaction. By 1st of January 2019, the member states are supposed to submit their finalized integrated plans to the Commission. Now that's that's interesting. Now to, to finish up on that topic of the targets, so the first of the four big topics, what happens if the collective achievement of the union-wide target of 27% is in danger? The member states are obliged to submit regularly every two years detailed reports to the Commission on the implementation status of their integrated plans. The Commission examines these reports and may issue recommendations. Also, the governance regulation states that if the Commission concludes in its assessment in the year 2023 that the European Union is not on its way to achieve the union-wide target, then the member states shall ensure by the year 2024 that any emerging gap is covered by additional measures. These measures may be, for instance, adjusting the share of renewable energy in the heating and cooling sector or making a financial contribution to a fund set up at union level, which is managed by the Commission and which supports renewable energy projects. Also, in case a member state falls below its minimum target, which is set in the current directive, it must make a financial contribution to the same fund. Good. Um, now let's, let's move on. Nowadays, support schemes play a very big role in the member states' attempt to raise their share of green energy. What can we expect from the introduction of a legal framework on support schemes by, by the new directive? The current directive does not contain any detailed provision regarding the design of the support schemes. Even though the new directive is far from laying out detailed rules, it now contains some basic rules, including an obligation to introduce cross-border support. It seems to me that this framework is still a little vague. What's your opinion on that? Indeed, uh, the framework set out in the current directive falls short in, in terms of legal certainty of what one could have expected when taking preliminary drafts of the directive into account. There you had provisions listing detailed examples of permissible support schemes. However, these provisions are not included in the current draft. Instead, the proposal now resembles more or less the already existing guidelines from the Commission on Energy and Environment Aid. A reason for this could be, according to what I have heard, that the legislative process before the publication of the uh, Renewable Directive risked to be delayed due to concerns of the European Commission's Regulatory Scrutiny Board, whose approval is a necessary step for the publication. The board doubted whether, in light of the subsidiarity principle, new legal rules on support schemes were necessary, when the Commission's guidelines already existed. Overall, I believe that the lack of detailed rules in secondary law gives the Commission greater discretion how to adapt its guidelines in the future and circumvents discussions during the parliamentary process when agreeing the final wording of the directive. You mentioned, Thomas, in the beginning that one of the proposal's aims was to strengthen the internal energy market. 
build this new legal framework also foster cross-border sports schemes like the one between Germany and Denmark on open field photovoltaic generators? Oh yes, the provisions in the old directive regarding voluntary cooperation of member states did not lead to the level of cooperation that the Commission had hoped for. Only Norway and Sweden successfully implemented a joint support scheme. Therefore, the new directive obliges member states to open their support schemes to generators of other member states. Just to give you an idea, between the years 2021 and 2025, 10% of the supported capacities should be open to cross-border schemes. Afterwards, this percentage will rise up to 15%. The member states need to conclude cooperation agreements setting out for the cross-border disbursement of funding. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you mentioned 1.5, so 15%. Yes. Okay. Now, my next question um, focuses on the need of investments. Um, there are estimates that investments of around 255 billion euros will be required between 2015 and 2030. How does the new legislative proposal attract investors to make these large investments? First, the permit granting process shall be streamlined. Especially small-scale installations of less than 50 kilowatt will no longer need a permit to connect to the grid, but only notification to the distribution system operator. For construction, a single administrative authority shall be responsible for the whole permit granting process. The authority provides the applicants with all necessary information, coordinates its decision with other authorities, and in the end decides whether the permit is granted. The authority shall also have a clear time limit for this process. Usually the maximum duration is three years, but if someone applies for a permit for repowering, the process, process shall not exceed one year. Another means to attract investors is ensuring the stability of support schemes in order to protect the investors' financial expectations on a long-term basis. The new directive therefore prohibits retroactive changes. It determines that member states cannot alter the level of and conditions attached to the support of renewable energy projects in a way that negatively impacts the right conferred thereunder. A situation like in Italy or Spain where the feed-in tariffs for existing installations were reduced retrospectively, would not be possible any longer. Good. So far, we have covered most of the prominent legal changes in the new directive that has been proposed by the Commission and which you have set out in the beginning. Now, on a different note, how do you feel about the proposed rules on guarantees of origin? Guarantees of origins are issued to show to a final customer that a given quantity of energy was produced from renewable sources. Currently, only 45% of the electricity from renewable sources is covered by those guarantees. The Commission wants to raise this percentage. Therefore, the draft proposal broadens the scope of renewable energies, which can be included. It now includes for the first time renewable gas, heating and cooling. Also, it shall no longer be left to the member states' discretion to uphold the exclusivity between guarantees of origins and support schemes. The new directive prohibits the member states to issue a guarantee of origin 
to an energy producer who already receives financial support from a scheme, the so-called prohibition of double marketing. Instead, the guarantees of origin are to be issued and directly transferred to the market via an auction. The revenues of the auctions are used by the member states to offset the costs of renewable support. This should strengthen the trading of tra uh, guarantees of origin at the European Energy Exchange, EX, which was introduced in 2013 and could so far not compete against trading OTC. Some of our listeners who produce renewable energies on a small-scale basis might want to know how the new directive could affect them if passed into law. Is there a cause of concern, you think, Thomas? No. The new draft strengthens the renewable self-consumption. Self-consumers, in some countries also called prosumers, shall be entitled to self-consumption and sell their excess production to renewable um, off-takers. Practically, they would do so through aggregators or power purchase agreements. The self-consumers receive a remuneration for their electricity fed into the grid, and the remuneration must be higher than the market price for electricity. Furthermore, the self-consumers shall not be treated as energy suppliers as long as they do not feed more than 10 megawatt hours into the grid. At the same time, they maintain all consumer rights. Even if many self-consumers join together into one renewable energy community, they shall not be subject to disproportionate procedures and charges that do not reflect cost. In the view of the Commission, local citizen participation in renewable energy projects through renewable energy communities adds substantial value in terms of local acceptance of renewable energy and access to additional private capital. Therefore, any disadvantages in competition with large-scale players shall be avoided. However, these privileges only apply when the energy community meets the requirements listed in the directive, for example, that they are at least owned to 51% by natural persons. Okay, understood. Now, let, let us have a look at the use of renewable energies in the heating and cooling sector as the last of the sort of more substantive issues. What, what rules can we expect here? The Commission acknowledges that heating and cooling amounts to around half of the annual European energy consumption and therefore has a big influence on reaching the union-wide target. The new directive provides that the final share of renewable energy supplied for heating and cooling shall increase by at least 1% every year. According to the European Union, there is clear cost reduction potential in the energy system by improving the performance of district heating and cooling systems. In order to foster the use of renewables in this sector, the Commission proposes to allow customers of inefficient district heating or cooling systems to disconnect from the system. This right to disconnect applies when the system does not use at least 50% renewable energy and other fixed percentages in the energy mix. Member states are allowed to limit this right to customers who can prove that either their new supplier or their renewable self-production has a significantly better energy performance. 
At the same time, the member states ensure a non-discriminatory access to district heating or cooling systems for suppliers using renewable sources, including the right to supply customers connected to the network with heat and cold. Good. So now to the, the last question, which is more like a procedural question. And as we all know, the new proposal is not yet binding EU law. What necessary steps are there so that the proposal becomes law and enters into force on 1 January 2021? The proposal will go through the ordinary legislative procedure. This requires the European Parliament and the European Council to agree on a common text and adopt the proposal. Then the directive will be published in the official journal of the European Union. Usually, the entire process takes around 18 months. However, the current Maltese presidency of the Council has announced to focus on another directive of the winter package first. This might prolong the procedure. Roughly, the directive will likely be binding EU law in summer 2018. Finally, I would like to add that the member states have to implement the directive international law for most provisions by 30th of June 2021. Okay, so time will tell whether this target can be met. Thank you very much, Thomas, for these answers, and we hope you have found it interesting.